You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Episode 22. I'm Dustin Hammett. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. Welcome to the show where we pick at the news along the highway of American culture. And today we are recording before a live studio audience. So uh, the news today won't shut up about the fact that Facebook is going to die. The uh, Drudge Report said that it is on a death spiral because the stock has dropped uh, several billion dollars. It lost 13% of its value. Or to put the number in context, the number has dropped all the way to the point it was at in, wait for it, May of 2018. (laughs) So the death spiral has only set them back two months in stock growth. Dustin, what are your thoughts? Uh, First of all, I would like to tell you that you are now on Emperor Zuckerberg's watch list. (laughs) And uh, I would probably be watching for people following your vehicle and uh, strange men in black suits following you. Um, They don't need to follow you because everyone's phones with the Facebook app is recording you and tracking you everywhere you go. I meant following you on Facebook, Thomas. We We were at the grocery store just a few days ago, and my wife made a comment about a certain type of product in the grocery store. And I kid you not, within five minutes, she had an ad for a competing brand of that product on Facebook. And you think that your your phone microphone isn't on right now? <laughs> I would just like to say I welcome our Zuckerberg overlords, and uh, please don't kill me or have me assassinated. <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. So uh, the Facebook valuation, um, of course, you know it's big news because it's Facebook and they're huge and they're all encompassing in our in our daily lives. And uh, you know, back when they went public, however many years ago, it was a big deal. And now. Um, Anytime something bad happens to Facebook, it's kind of like Donald Trump. It's big news, right? Everybody loves to hate Zuckerberg and uh, the big, bad, evil Facebook that is all in control of our lives. Well, and the media finds uh, Facebook to be very threatening because Facebook controls, if you're a journalist, whether or not people see your story. So if your story goes viral on Facebook, it's really big. If it doesn't, hardly anyone sees it. And Facebook makes a lot of the money off of that traffic. So anytime they can hate on Facebook or hate on YouTube, they make this huge deal about it. Like, oh, some YouTuber has been misbehaving and it's in the news. And I think part of that is financially motivated because this is an existential threat of people being their own journalists takes journalists' actual jobs away potentially. You know, ironically, Thomas, uh, as I was going through Facebook this morning, which is pretty much the, face, the first thing I do every morning. I'm so sorry. I know. That, yeah, I'm only partially kidding. I didn't see a single story on Facebook about the drop in dramatic, val- dramatic drop in value on Facebook stock. So I, I, I just don't understand what's going on here. It's obviously not really happening if it's not on Facebook. This is not the news story you're looking for. <laughs> you can move along. <laughs> These are not the droids you're looking for. I I do think, though, uh, that when it comes to this death spiral, we should talk a little bit about why the stock has dropped. And the reason the stock has dropped is because user growth is flat. So tech stocks typically get very big valuations, not because they are super profitable, because for years, tech companies didn't make any money. I remember for like a decade, no tech company seemed to want to make money. Uh, But they had these huge valuations because there was an anticipation of very high growth. That's why Tesla is so valuable, because there is an expectation that Tesla is going to take over the world. And what is hurting Facebook's finances is not the fact that they invade user privacy. No, Investors love that. that. No, yeah, that's, 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 that's where awesome. the money's at. That's my no, favorite. the reason their stock has dropped is because their user growth is flat. So what's happening is that young people are leaving Facebook and old people are signing up for it and they're about canceling each other out. 
And this is important because of the economics of social networks. There's actually a financial algorithm that can tell you the value of a social network. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the scientist who uh, coined this algorithm. But the value of a network is equal to n mi- the square of n minus 1. And n is the number of nodes on the network. So in a social network, it's the number of people. So if you have 1 billion people, 101 billion people, uh, the value of the network is the square of a billion uh, and one minus the one. So it's a square of a billion. So the bigger the number gets, the value of the network gets bigger and bigger. So if you have the only fax machine in the world, it's worthless because there's no one to send a fax to. And if there's only two fax machines in the world, there's some value. N minus one, there's one fax machine's worth of value. But if there's a million fax machines in the world, then that's a lot of value. You can fax anyone you want. But as people stop using fax machines, the value of your fax machine in your office gets less and less valuable. And that's the concern, is that if all the cool kids leave Facebook, then their parents may leave Facebook too, and me actually might have a death spiral, and Drudge Report won't be fake news after all. And therein lies the problem, Thomas, as everybody knows, is that... uh Facebook is the social network of uh, the older millennial generation. Ouch. Ouch. I resemble that. I was in college when it came out. And that's what it was. It was back when we were in college, Thomas. Is this was the thing that all the cool kids do because you know I mean, we were uh, young 20-year-olds and in college in that area right when Zuckerberg was doing his thing at Harvard. And I remember distinctly back when I had a MySpace account, uh, back in the old days of the internet, uh, what was that, 15 years ago now, something like something like that? That the new thing was Facebook, and I remember my roommate had a Facebook account. I'm like, what the heck is that? It's awesome. I want on it. But that was back in the days where you had to have an invite to have a Facebook account, uh, which, was, which was kind of a big deal. Now, anybody can have a Facebook account. The problem with that is, is that the younger generation doesn't want to have a Facebook account. Um, and I think we have somebody here from our live studio audience who wants to comment on that. So, uh, William, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, so I can tell you why, as a resident younger person uh, who actually is weird and likes Facebook, is uh, I can tell you why younger generation and what's been bugging me about Facebook and it's st- and why older people like Facebook. And it stems back to how media has been consumed nowadays versus when my parents were my age. So when my parents were my age, they'd watch TV and they'd watch whatever's on. And so you just turn on the TV and whatever's on is what you're going to watch. And maybe there's a TV guide, but it's very much dictated by the platform itself what you're going to watch. Now, me growing up, I can go to Netflix, I can go to YouTube, I can go to Amazon Prime and choose exactly what I want to watch when I want to watch it. And Facebook is very much that older model of they've got the robots and the algorithms telling you, here's what's going to happen. Even when you watch a video on Facebook, they have autoplay, which is something that my parents love because it's like watching TV. It just plays the next video regardless. But I have no say on what's going to be the next video on autoplay. So I try to disable that as much as I can because I hate autoplay because I want to be the one controlling what I'm going to watch instead of the platform. So William, I heard two things. I heard you say that you love Facebook and then tell me all the reasons you hate Facebook. <laughs> yes. Would that be accurate? Yes. And I think that might be why the stock is dropping. <laughs> so, so I think we just found our reason, Thomas. So one of the reasons why Facebook stock has been so strong for so long is I remember when high schoolers were allowed on Facebook, there was this huge protest group started to protest the inclusion of high schoolers on the platform and was the protest group formed on myspace no it was formed on 
Facebook. And so when people are protesting the platform on the platform itself, it's an indication that they are so bought into the platform that it's very hard to leave. And this is that um, network power, that when you have enough nodes, it becomes almost impossible to leave. But when you do, you have that same exponential number working back the other way. Now, uh, Facebook's algorithm, you know, it really is powerful. And I remember the first time this happened. I think I've talked about this in the past, but uh, it was Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. Do you Have you heard the story of Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day? I have, but why don't you tell us again? So uh, I think it was Huckabee or somebody wanted to say, hey, we want to support uh, Chick-fil-A because they've been getting a lot of negative press because the founder uh, believed in traditional marriage and didn't believe in gay marriage, which had nothing to do with Chick-fil-A's corporate policies or anything related to the company, just the private political opinions of the founder. And there was this big boycott, and they wanted to have this big Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day, and the lines for Chick-fil-A were around the block. It was this huge national event, and it was a big Facebook event until suddenly every reference to Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day disappeared on Facebook and stayed disappeared for eight hours until Mike Huckabee got on primetime news and called Facebook out on it on television, and suddenly all of the mentions of Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day came back. And it was interesting because um, Ted Cruz asked uh, Mark Zuckerberg about that in his most recent deposition before the Senate. And Zuckerberg's answer was, Silicon Valley's full of lots of leftists. And that's, that is a challenge that we have to face. Like, Zuckerberg is very transparent about the fact that Facebook is run by liberal nerds who uh, have opinions. And he's like, we try not to censor, but when the whole company believes one thing, it's really hard to actually be that neutral, unbiased source. And so I think it's important to realize that when you're on Facebook, you are seeing a filtered view of the world. And it's mostly filtered based off of who you are and what you want. The algorithm is trying to keep you on Facebook. But it's also some uh, opinions of Facebook, I think, also have an impact there and of their employees. So I think, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, when you listen to this podcast, here's my advice to you, okay? I think what, twi- what, what really dug Twitter out of the hole and made it relevant again, uh, to whatever extent it is relevant these days, is uh, President Trump. So if you can either uh, pay Donald Trump to start using your platform or find somebody similar to that, I think your problems will be solved. Uh, I don't know who that person would be. Uh, do you have any idea who that person would be, Thomas? So the Democrats at some point are going to pick somebody to run against Donald Trump. Uh, they don't seem to be in any hurry, but that would be the person I would pick is whoever the Democrat candidate is. The, Maybe Biden. Like, Biden can be the king of Facebook. And then have and Trump can be king of Twitter. Yeah, Twitter is red team. Facebook is blue team. You, uh, you, made, a, you made a comment earlier about uh, the users of a platform uh, advocating the protesting of the platform on the platform itself. And speaking of Twitter... I follow James Wood on Twitter just because he's hilarious. And uh, he tweeted this about five hours ago. I urge every Twitter user who has had an account shadow banned to sell all stock holdings on Twitter. Hit these creeps and their stock value. It's the only way to fight this bias. We fought at Facebook, whose stock is down, and at CNN, ratings are down, and one, it works, at Twitter is next. James Wood tweets about five million times a day. And he is now advocating tw- attacking Twitter, which to me is uh, ironically hilarious. Yeah, because CNN's uh, numbers aren't actually down. The 2016 election was the best thing to happen to CNN's ratings. The uh, New York Times is making more money than they have in years. All of this like perception that somehow mainstream media is suffering is totally false. Uh, the 
uh, mainstream media actually has uh, a purpose now to exist. New York Times' tagline is, democracy dies in darkness. Like they are, from their perspective, the one bastion of freedom and truth holding out against the lies that are coming from the White House. And the people who agree with that want to support that. And every time Trump says failing New York Times in a tweet, a thousand people, new people go and buy a subscription to the New York Times to support what they're doing because they believe in what they're doing. Uh, and it has uh, come to my attention that uh, Twitter is the new platform for international diplomacy. Um, so if you want to uh, start a war, I'm uh, looking forward to our first war started via Twitter. Uh, it, it's going to go beyond your typical Twitter war. It, it should be kind of interesting. So during the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, we did not have a red phone to the Kremlin. If Kennedy wanted to talk to Khrushchev, there was no quick and easy way to do it. And when they both wanted to back down when we'd kind of hit peak crisis and we're like, hey, maybe we should not blow up the world. Uh, Khrushchev, when he wanted to send a message to Kennedy and say, hey, we're backing down, we're moving the missiles, blah, blah, blah. He couldn't send it as a message to the embassy. That would be too slow. So what Khrushchev did was he got on the radio and he announced it as a radio, as a broadcast to anyone listening on the radio. And it was echoed. And within minutes, it was heard in Washington. And Kennedy was doing the same thing back. So it wasn't private. It was public. It was this, like, super public form of communication. And after the uh, missile crisis, they're like, maybe we should have a red telephone so we can deal with these uh, crises a little bit behind the public view so we don't cause the whole world to panic. And it's fascinating because there's nothing new under the sun. So this whole, like, hey, I'm going to blast my most current feelings about a foreign government uh, on the uh, Internet for all to hear. It's like, actually, that's been done before. And uh, I just hope that we don't have another Cuban missile crisis level um conflict or at least although again i guess cuban missile crisis worked out because no one died you know so it, we did back down at the last yeah minute. i guess it kind of worked out in the end yeah trusting people not to blow up the world when they have the power to blow up the world i don't know if i trust people that much like i feel like we were very fortunate that it didn't uh, end humanity as we know it where there's a few survivors crawling through the rubble like hunting you know mutated lizards and uh, living in a mad max dystopian future yeah but it makes great movies it does make and and good video games too. did you read the president's latest tweet <laughs> i have not enlighten us on the president's latest tweet said i'll give you a short version he basically said that uh, the u.s is going to impose large sanctions on turkey for their long-time detainment of pastor andrew brunson a great christian family man and wonderful human being etc etc uh and that's just a, a little taste of uh diplomacy by twitter which why, why is he doing this now they just let him out of jail yesterday he's finally in house arrest which i can tell you i know people who've been in turkish prisons and they are the worst uh, some uh, family friend of ours was working at a bank that uh, everyone was elect uh, in the bank was arrested, whether they had done anything wrong or not. They just took all of the employees, put them in jail, and nine months later, he appears before a judge, and the judge lets him go because he hadn't done anything wrong. But he had to wait nine months just to see a judge and say, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. And the judge is like, yeah, there's nothing on you. You can go. And I'm like, I am so thankful for the American Constitution right now. This whole, like, oh, only 72 hours holding without cause is really appreciative. I really appreciate that. And this pastor is finally allowed to go home. And now Trump's making noise? Why wasn't he making noise three days ago when he was actually in jail? I don't have an answer to that question. Uh, but I'm certainly he's going to claim credit for all of this but uh that's neither here nor there so uh, <laughs> hopefully he will be uh the pastor brunson will be allowed to go home uh all the way uh, because he's been doing uh good work in my opinion in turkey for a long time so we have another guest from our live studio audience ginger welcome to the liberty buzzard thank you i just wanted to say that trump has made a big 
public statement about Andrew Brunson and has pushed hard for his release. In previous tweets? Tweets and in official statements, both. And there recently was actually a signed petition that 60 senators signed. There's a lot of pressure, political pressure, to get Andrew Brunson released. And it's, I think, because of that petition of 60 senators that he has now been moved to house arrest. But Trump has been influential and continues to press on this issue. So tell us a little bit about Andrew Brunson. Who is he and why is he in jail? He has been um, a pastor of a church in Izmir, Turkey for, I don't remember, in excess of 20 years. I don't know if it's 23, 25, 28 years. And he was caught up in um, this, there was a big cleaning of house in Turkey when this new uh, Erdogan came into power and he just kind of arrested everybody in sight and Brunson got caught up in that and he has been accused of ridiculous things like terrorism and uh, all kinds of ridiculous everyone agrees except for Erdogan (laughs) that these are totally trumped up and ridiculous charges and he's been in jail since October of 2016 so a year and a half almost two years yeah Erdogan had a big purge of over 10,000 people that Mm -hmm. he was claiming were having a coup against him and within like 48 hours they were all arrested I'm like wow that is a suspiciously rapid response to a coup of 10,000 people uh, that suddenly uh, are in your way. And he had a lot of people arrested, a lot of journalists, a lot of political people, but it was a part of his uh, solidifying of power. Uh, He's more aligned with a Muslim Brotherhood style of government. So he's more Islamist than we've had in the past, and he's taking a harder line. And what's funny is there's a cleric in America that, Erdogan hates more than like anyone in the world and this cleric has got freedom of religion and can say whatever he want and uh, Erdogan would give almost anything I think to get this guy deported back to Turkey are you talking about Imam Twahili did I say that right yeah he has some camp in like Ohio or somewhere or like West Virginia and he's like at a ranch and he's teaching he's like the most like peaceful like non-obnoxious guy ever and yet Erdogan it's like somehow it's gotten under his skin but it is unfortunate that he's also going after Christians and not just other uh, Muslims that he disagrees with. It's an interesting fact that uh, Turkey is a member of NATO, and I think it just goes to show you, um, you know, Turkey's regressed quite a bit from its uh, secular roots, and it's to me it seems that NATO has very much become a relic of the Cold War and probably needs to be reworked um, if they're not going to use NATO to uh, bring Turkey back into line. Uh, I think it's probably pretty much a defunct program. So Turkey and Russia historically have hated each other. So Catherine the Great, like her whole, it wasn't presidency, it was czar, what do you call somebody's reign as czar? Her whole reign as czar. That she works. was in a on again, off again, I'm at war with Turkey, and they just fought constantly around the Baltics. And uh, many of the other czars were also at war with Turkey. And Turkey historically has hated Russia, and Russia has hated Turkey. And so when the USSR became really powerful, Turkey was like, uh-oh, we share a border with USSR. We have warm water ports. USSR wants to conquer all they can touch. Hey, America, you want to put some military bases and keep us safe? And we're like, sure. But now Turkey's acting all friendly with Russia, and we are uh, still not getting along with Russia. And suddenly it is a question, why is Turkey in NATO, which is an anti-Russia uh, organization when Turkey is now for the first time in like 500 years being friendly with Russia. And the answer really boils down to military necessity because we need the bases that we have there. We have large air bases there and they still feed our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. 
and our uh, wars against terror in the entire uh, central uh, region over there. So they're needed, and I think that's the only reason that we just don't say a whole lot for that uh, as far as Turkey is concerned. And I think Erdogan knows that, and he can push as hard as he wants because he knows that we probably at this point uh, in our international relationship uh, need them more than they need us. So I think that's I think that's his only saving grace. If the reverse were true, I think uh, we would make things a lot harder for him. There's an organization in Austin called Stratfor, and they're a geopolitical forecasting uh, comp- uh, company. So if you're wanting to build a factory in Vietnam and you want to forecast on the next 20 years of, of the future of Vietnam politically and whether Vietnam's a good place to build a factory, they uh, are like the CIA for private companies. And they had uh, their founder wrote a book about the next 100 years. It was his geopolitical predictions based off of his understandings of history. And one of the things he said is that the region of Turkey historically has almost always been the seat of empire. There's some empire that's had it as their home base going back thousands of years, whether it was the Medes and uh, Persians who had you know, bases there or the Ro- Romans who were very strong there or the Byzantines or the Ottomans. And this whole Turkey as this weak country is a historical anomaly. We take it for granted because in the last 100 years, Turkey has not really been much to speak of. But if you broaden your um, time horizon, Turkey's been a very big heavyweight in the world world events and it's because they have really great geography they control access to the black sea they have good access to the mediterranean they have very fertile land and they're relatively defensible invading turkey is kind of a pain uh, as we learned the hard way in world war one when we realized maybe not so much <laughs> maybe we'll conquer all the ottoman empire except for present-day turkey i think we just uh, skipped them <laughs> we just was like ah it's too much hassle what's the worst that can happen and his prediction is that turkey will become one of the major superpowers over the next hundred years and uh, of course, that's based off of history, and he didn't see that he wrote that book before Erdogan came to power. And so, it'll be very fascinating to watch: is Erdogan the next Ataturk who's going to help Turkey become uh, level up, so to speak, and become a great power again, or is he going to hold them back so that the tides of history move beyond them? I guess only time will tell. I would say if, uh, if there's going to be somebody that's going to move Turkey forward, it's not Erdogan. Uh, it's going to be Zuckerberg. They need to bring be, in Zuckerberg. Once, think, once his company crashes and Facebook dies, they're going to bring over Zuckerberg, make him president of Turkey. He'll fix it all. He can do a police state better than anyone. No one does surveillance quite like Zuckerberg. Every phone right. is listening to you. That's, that's, that's right. really is the answer. We can bring this whole circle. I think you've nailed it, Thomas. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think you've pretty much captured the next 100 years. So you know, who cares about that Stratford guy? I'm going to buy your book. <laughs> so uh, here's to Zuckerberg, Izmir of Turkey. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. Feel free to drop us a line. This is Liberty Buzzard episode 23. You can go to libertybuzzard.com forward slash 023 to leave a comment. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. I'm Dustin Hammett. And you've been listening to Liberty Buzzard. <laughs> <laughs>